Welcome to season three of the Collegiate Ministries podcast. This season, we are talking about AI technology and its impact on ministry to college-aged young adults. Our host is none other than Ryan's McElveen, the creative architect of Collegiate Ministries. Collegiate Ministries is a resource of Mere Christianity Forum and is dedicated to supporting just, vibrant, and inclusive 21st century collegiate ministries. This podcast was made possible by a generous grant from the Young Clergy Initiative and is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival. We hope you enjoy the show. And now for part two of Ryan's McElveen's conversation with Paul Johnson. Such, that's such a positive kind of way to engage the tool. And then, you know, I also wonder about the nature of and kind of scope of human loneliness right now coming out of COVID. And not that we're free of COVID, obviously, I just want to be clear and cognizant of that. It's, it's not gone away, but we have emerged from it in a certain regard and are sort of living with it differently than we did, you know, 24 months ago even. And, but there's this sort of lagging presence of loneliness that's persistent. And I think it really is present in folks who go off to college and even sometimes folks who find themselves on campuses surrounded by lots of people, but not feeling known or intimately connected with folks. And I feel like the kind of flu- the competency and fluency and ease of AI language models in particular is, is growing rapidly. And I wonder how that's going to impact loneliness and and are we as a as a species sort of particularly vulnerable to this particular technology right now or not i'm curious what you would say about that paul yeah i would i would echo that concern i think that like um our technology like social media already kind of fills or we attempt to fill like any void and feeling of loneliness by just like scanning what other people are doing out there, trying to get some kind of grasp of connection as superficial as it is. And that doesn't obviously satisfy the actual human connection needs that we have. And I think there is a danger there that AI can actually very plausibly, like we were talking about uh, positive use cases, like simulating a tough conversation you might have so that you can actually have that real conversation with a real person. But because the AI is so good at simulating it, it could also for many people um, kind of simulate relationships like close friendships and even romantic relationships that in a way that feels realistic and meaningful. Um, there are already apps that do this. Um, there are, um, millions of people using them every day, mostly in other countries that are more culturally receptive to it currently. But I no doubt that will be coming for, you know, across that, that is a major, major, um, kind of evolution and kind of concern is that, um, I think a lot of people a few years from now, very plausibly could have like AI best friends, like that know all about them 
and kind of are there when they need them are very convincing and interesting to talk to. Um, so there is a very real void that AI is poised to fill. And there are obvious concerns about that because those are not real people in your life that can support you in the same way that like a human relationship can. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It certainly seems like that is, that is going to come like a wave and a very strong one uh, here. And yes, it is being used much more in other cultures that are much more receptive to this kind of technological partnership, if you will. Um, and so I just, I want you to help us keep, keep an eye on that and um, to anticipate that, like you said, like how do we play with the technology and at the same time hold it in check or, or hold it at bay? Tell me some more about other ways that you're using AI, uh, both in your work and then also if, if you are in, in kind of personal endeavors outside of work. Sure. So um, at Pathrate and for our work, one of the interesting things that we're, we're using it as most of us or many of us on our team are using it as a research assistant already. So if we're working on a project or writing a blog post, we're using it that way as like a, an, an aid. And um, actually, AI is very good at assisting with code. So if you develop in code, AI is an amazing tool um, that can write a substantial amount of kind of more the boilerplate style of code and just save a lot of time. Um, but we're also like building AI into Pathrite to help teachers and learners learn and teach more effectively. And the way that we think about that at a high level is that uh, AI is really just a technology. So as amazing as it is and as human sounding as it is and feeling as it is, it exists to kind of like do two things that we think about. One is to reduce kind of like friction points and pain points and busy work. So all, all the kind of like knowledge, labor and work that you do, that really is a drain on the thing that you're really motivated to do for as a human within your calling. There's so much of that, um, particularly for teachers, like grading and keeping up with um, logistical stuff and all that stuff and scheduling things. So that's where we're actually plugging in AI first is like, cause if we can remove the kind of mental friction points of busy work that frees up space for real human relationships and creativity um, that we all want to exercise. And we can take that same approach with AI in our own lives. And I try to do that too. So um, for example, one of the most tedious parts of my work is occasionally I need to write some legal documents or review some legal terms on something. It's not something that I really enjoy and other people are out there that do. But the chat GPT is really great at helping with that. I can paste in a whole set of whole, you know, 50 different legal terms and it can tell me what to think about with it and kind of talk to me like a lawyer and help me review it. So I use it to kind of like power through and speed up um, tasks that are tedious. And I'm sure anybody listening probably has some of those tasks that you have to do as well. Um, another way that it can help is beyond just kind of like reducing the draining busy work of our lives so that we can spend more time in meaningful creative work. Um, it also can help us kind of give us like superpowers in that like there is something we couldn't do before that we can now do. So that's another thing to look for with technology. So here's a very small example of that. Like if I'm having a particular, if I need to write an email that has some kind of like challenging 
things that I'm trying to communicate. Um, maybe it's trying to resolve some kind of relationship um, tension or it's a high stakes kind of contract or something like that. Um, I can paste that email into chat TBT and I do do this and I can tell it like, here are my goals. Here's like the tone I would like to make come across as, and it will give me like coaching style feedback on how to improve it. It can write it for me and it's not bad at doing that in some cases, but I found that the most helpful use is if I treat it more like a coach. So I tell it, don't write for me, but just, you know, treat, give me some tips and some questions to accomplish the goals better. Um, and that's kind of like a superpower with the technology because the only, I could do that with a person, but they're not always going to be available or as informed on the particular kind of thing that I'm trying to communicate. Um, so AI can be kind of like a superpower in that way. And that's one of the ways that I use it personally. That's amazing. Um, thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm curious a little bit too about how, when thinking about Christian leaders and collegiate ministry leaders working with young adults and other people in the university milieu who right now, you know, the big onset of AI last academic year was about cheating and about originality and work. And so I, I wonder what's the kind of, um, what, what are, you, are your thoughts on those kinds of conversations and how it's showing up on campus in a certain sense, specifically in the academic realm, but really with a question around integrity and originality and things like that, both for students who might be tempted to use it in ways and you just name for yourself a kind of a, a kind of a, a limit, you know, like I'm not asking you to write, to, to write my paper for me, I'm asking you to help me write my, a better paper with proper questions or quotes. You know, there's nuance there um, that you're learning and have learned by, to use your language, playing with this technology or interacting with this technology. So maybe just say a little bit about, you know, specific uses of AI and implications for students and Christian leaders on campus. Hmm, that's a great question. So yes, a, the biggest disruption AI has had on culture perhaps is just the essays that students can now write with it in school. And like, that's probably the most concrete kind of disruption in that now professors who relied heavily on written words as evidence for learning can't do so to the same extent. And there are many technology tools that claim that they can catch and detect AI written text, but that's just it's not true and it, it never will be, I don't think. I don't think unless like AI tools are kind of mandated to build some kind of fingerprint that things can detect the AI in, it's not gonna be naturally detectable because um, it's, it's just that good at writing and it's only gonna get better. Um, but I think as far as like what that means is for students, let's start there. It's like um, school feels, it's structured in such a way that it feels like it is kind of like a game that you just need to complete these levels, these challenging assignments in these classes and then get your degree. And then that's going to lead to this job, like the final boss, so to speak, once you graduate. Um, and it kind of, it is gamified in that sense. Um, people talk about gamifying education and it already is. It's just not a super fun game often. Um, 
and but that if if you if that's the perspective that you're taking on your education that you're going to find out in the real world that that game is not real <laughs> like that, that's not the real life version of how life how how you're going to be good at a career or who's going to make the best developer or community organizer or lawyer it's not going to be the ones who played that game the best it's actually be the ones that can like think really well and think creatively and um, they do the unique human things, not the kind of the programmatic things. So yes, you could probably use ChatGPT to write a B plus or higher essay, just with a little bit of good prompting and some patience, but that won't teach you the thinking skills you're going to need for whatever it is that you're training for. And so that's where I would encourage students and teachers too to fully embrace chat GPT and AI for doing their work, but use it as a teaching tool and a coaching kind of tool for yourself to do the work. So don't have it right for you, I guess should be the, the very short version <laughs> of the advice is have it help you think of new things, help it critique intelligently, help it, um, it for me, it's actually kind of motivating. So I'll, I'll share this prompt in a, uh, the path that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later, but one of the most useful ways that I find it for writing. So if I, I was writing like a school assignment or an essay or a blog post, is I have a prompt where I tell the AI to act like a writing tutor and coach, and I give it a particular name and some instructions, and then it I paste in whatever my first kind of ugly draft is, and then it can it will coach me line by line, making observations and asking Socratic questions about how I could improve the writing, and it's kind of like a little writing game where a coach is built in and I can just kind of write whatever I'm writing that way. And I find that actually motivating and helpful, but it also I think has made me a slightly better writer um, when I've used that. That's so cool. And I think about those of us who are tasked with writing sermons and delivering, you know, content in small Christian small groups or Christian, you know, spiritual formation groups and all those kinds of things beginning to utilize and grow in our co competence in using this technology and helping us um, do better and more faithful uh, writing and, and also communicating, not just the writing, but also communicating well. And I loved your, your, notion that we might could could have a, a preaching or teaching coach that we might could have a kind of dialogue or try on a particular message with a, a an audience before delivering that message by asking the ai language model to help us with that so thank you for these really really helpful reflections on interacting well with AI. I'd love to hear what you feel like is coming in terms of usage. You know, you've described what you're already doing with it and that many folks are going to be catching up to over the next three, five, six, nine months. But I'd also love to hear what, what you're building at Pathright in terms of the things that you think would be most helpful for collegiate ministers and other 
ministry leaders in the campus ministry space and how to take advantage of those? Sure. Yeah. So that's a big question. And in a lot of ways, it's like the very best time to be working in AI and the very worst time <laughs> to be work like building with AI because most of the things that we're building on right now are just such so like early on in in the pioneering phase that you know most of, like there I see you know and I'm sure there's more I see like five to ten new AI apps come out every week and most of the things that are distinctive about those features will just be built in to whatever the version of AI we're using next year is. So it's kind of high, hard to spot like kind of like where exactly the unique kind of products and takes and kind of new wave of software tools and um, experiences that we can have, digital experiences that we can have are going to be. Um, so everything is kind of in flux, but also very exciting. Um, some of the things that we're really most excited about um, when it comes to teaching and education or spiritual formation is the AI's ability to um, help teachers and learners contextualize what it is they're learning. So this is a kind of a big picture idea, but I think AI is the death knell for static text as a primary way that we interact with text. So right now we have like textbooks in schools and we have study guides and those only read the, they read exactly the same way the first time we read it as they do the thousandth time we read it. Um, but what AI can do is it can transform that text, keep the meaning pretty well to our particular context. So let's say like if you have an assignment, you can let students pick what kind of project they want to do. And then all the text for that assignment just morphs to talk about their project and it uses their language and it helps them solve their particular problems for whatever project they chose, which could be completely different than the project another student said, but the, the meaning and the structure is still exactly the same. Um, I think that's, that's a very promising development is that the text that we read and interface with and hear even, audio AIs are also extremely impressive, um, can be contextualized for whatever it is we're trying to do in a very meaningful way. Um, Another thing that AI provides is that AI essentially like can seems to deliver on certain subjects the promise that every learner could have their own tutor um, who can effectively teach them um, to master many topics like math and computer science and economics. And we haven't really even tapped into like all the topics that AI is like extremely good at teaching already. But that's very promising that you have this always on inexpensive tutor who can help you learn in a much more interesting, personalized way. Um, so those are just two big areas that we're thinking about. As, as far as how these will, I see these kind of appearing in our lives over the next few years is like I said at the very beginning, like most of us can just kind of learn AI when we need to. So like when it shows up in our Microsoft Excel, if we're working in Microsoft Excel, or when it shows up in our um, document program, when we're writing a document, we can just kind of start playing with it and start using it. And then over time, it's just gonna get more and more capable in the tools that we're already using. Um, so most people don't necessarily need to like be ahead of the curve to, to adapt to it. It'll just show up and be part of the user interface that we use, there's just gonna be a lot of busy work that we don't have to do, hopefully. <laughs> um, 
but you can certainly benefit from proactively using it in many of the ways that we've been talking about as well. And, and I think that brings to mind like a kind of uh, a bigger thought as far as like, how does this apply particularly to people who are helping others in spiritual formation? And I think in my experience, a, a lot of the the church and spiritual formation is relatively absent from the technological realm. Like it's not like technology is not a key part of the conversation often when it comes to things like discipleship, discipleship or spiritual formation, or at best it's just kind of like this thing we need to avoid, um, but not necessarily use or understand. And I think that that can be a bit of a danger because if we think about it, like much of like spiritual formation happens where we spend our attention, like where our minds and hearts are focused. And that is overwhelmingly increasingly in the digital space. And AI, as we've been talking about, is going to be a profound influence on that digital space where people are being formed um, mentally, you know, as much as they are wherever they are in their physical body. Um, and so I think there is like a impetus if you are in the occupation of helping people be spiritually formed to understand and use AI to, to do that and to understand the, the kind of pressures and forces that they might be facing, um, and be conversant in those and help people think about it and use these new tools in a redemptive way. Yeah, thanks for that insight. It's so spot on, Paul. And um, I, I, I feel both excited, but also a little bit nervous to really press into this. And I wonder if you could comment just for a second on privacy. It feels to me like I've been sort of, you know, warned at some point or another, like, don't send anything you wouldn't want everyone to know and read and whatever in an email or a text, because sooner or later it could be available to anyone anywhere and everywhere. And I wonder about there's this opportunity right now with AI where it feels so new and, and emergent that there's kind of a naivete that we bring to it. And so I wonder if you could speak to kind of privacy or other potential risks, um, while you, you know you have certainly made a, a very compelling case for a positive view and a very positive capacity that we have to interact well with these these tools, um, but also maybe some of the risks. Sure, that that is definitely a very valid concern. So. There, there are apps that you can already get that are um, in, from unregulated countries that are intentionally using AI to collect psychological profiling type data on people. And AI is so good at simulating conversation and people will share with AI like they would share with a human far more than they would share like on Facebook, which also collects all that data and psychologically profiles people. Um, so there is a real danger when it comes to um, how what AI apps you're using. Now, now, my sense is that tools like OpenAI and 
um, Microsoft, which is using OpenAI, those are fairly bounded and regulated, at least as much as like any of the technology that we currently use, like Facebook or Google. So it is possible that, you know, some of the data that we might be feeding and collecting in it could be used at some point. They don't use it this way now, but I'm sure Microsoft probably does with their AI powered Bing. It could be used for like honing advertisements to you, just like our interactions with social media do. Um, so that's something to be aware of. I personally don't find that to be like a compelling, like personal risk to adapt my behavior too much for, but it is something that will happen. Um, but I also think that this is a another role that I think um, Christians and believers should play when it comes to the conversation about technology more broadly, is that whenever a powerful new technology like this um, surfaces, there are that there's an inclination for it to be used to make people that already have a lot of power and a lot of wealth more powerful and more wealthy. And that's, it's going to be kind of like the default first use. And that can, as we all know, lead to uh, downstream exploitation um, from like, even if it's indirect, um, that is kind of systematic and can be culturally destructive, especially for people that are more vulnerable. And I think there is an advocacy role that believers should play in making sure that the benefits of technology are not just kind of absorbed and consumed by the people that are already, you know, positioned to reap those rewards. Like the technology companies, even like our company, Pathrate, obviously we're not nearly as big as like Google or Facebook or any of those, but that a Christian approach to technology is one where everyone can reap the benefits and that those are shared and with everyone in that we are looking out for the secondary effects um, that always occur with technology proactively. So I think there's definitely, I think the, the biggest, it's, it's hard to give like specific advice on how personally to interact with technology when it comes to privacy, other than be careful and kind of try to use the things that seem a little bit more safe and mainstream um, and maybe not as much just like experimental apps that may be coming from different countries that we're not sure exactly what they're up to. Um, but more than that, like be thinking and advocating for how this de technology develops um, so that it's something that's positive for everyone and that the, the secondary effects are things that people are considering. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Um, a little bit further on on that, you that pathway of, of, just, of talking or exploring these ideas, you mentioned how sort of lagging the church has historically been in forming disciples meaningfully around use uses and interaction with technology. And how would you speak or encourage speak to or encourage a group of campus ministry leaders to equip those in their circles around this particular technology and its usage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing maybe I would recommend is what we talked about before. Try to try to play with it yourself. It's hard to like understand and take perspective and help someone else think about something. Like if a student is struggling with how to use AI for their homework, for instance, just like a very present issue. 
it's a, a bit hard to engage with that problem or question um, without using the technology yourself in some way that's similar. So I would say like a first step is just try to use it productively. It, it's very useful in many of the ways that we've talked about. Um, try to use it yourself productively and positively in, in a redemptive way. And in doing so, that will kind of give you the insight and some of the tools that will help you just kind of naturally speak to others and help them do the same. So that would be my most simple, but I think probably most helpful advice um, when it comes to that. I think the, the other thing I would say is be, and I think people that are helping people with spiritual formation are already attuned this way. So I think they're kind of uniquely positioned to think about the essentially the secondary or side effects that technology may be happening to people. Um, because we're, we're used to looking at people's lives and thinking like, okay, they're, they're dealing with this particular issue, but I'm kind of sensing this underlying cause or this other particular reason, or, and we're, we're looking for those effects, those more subtle effects that people often miss. And it, there's so many of those when it comes to technology um, to be aware of. Um, so often if people are, for instance, feeling more lonely, like that can be an effect of the kind of lockdowns in the pandemic malaise that we're still kind of in and hopefully emerging from at some point. But it can also be effective just browsing Instagram too much. Um, like there's lots of research and just even kind of common sense type of observations that you can make that with yourself or your kids or anybody that spending too much time on social media does not you know, form nourishing, life-giving relationships with other people. Um, and so being especially cognizant of those secondary effects, I think, is also another thing to look out for. We hope you enjoyed the episode. The Collegiate Ministries podcast is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.